you have a Bible and want to turn with me to Luke chapter 13, we want to look together to see what Jesus teaches us about suffering from this passage. You can find it on page 872 of the church Bible, Luke 13, verses 1 through 5. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Are those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us through your word? Would you comfort us that we might encounter your son, Jesus, who suffered on our behalf? We pray this in his name. Amen. Had the privilege recently to hear a young, the youngest living Medal of Honor recipient speak. His name is Lance Corporal Kyle Carpenter, speaking of another Marine. He received the Medal of Honor. It's, it's not something that you're awarded like a ribbon. He received the Medal of Honor after throwing himself on a grenade to protect one of his fellow Marines on the top of a roof in Marja, Afghanistan. And after that surgery, which left a hole in the roof because the grenade impacted his body and blew down, he suffered incredible damage to his face and had to spend over three years in the hospital at Walter Reed recovering from his injuries. It's a miracle even that he lived from the blast. And over 40 different surgeries suffered immensely, but he still has an amazing story, an amazing sense of humor as well. He recently wrote about his story in a book called You Are Worth It, Building a Life Worth Fighting For. And I was tempted for a moment this week to suggest uh, for Jeff Vogan to change the top of our banner on the front of our worship guide just for a week, because he had a funny line. If you've been around for a while, I think you'll think it's funny. But he said, a grenade changes everything. The title of his book, You Are Worth It, comes from a story that's not uncommon to servicemen and women. Uh, often they'll say, you know, thank you for your service. And he, so often as he did, would reply, you know, I really do appreciate it. You didn't have to go out of your way to say something like that. But he was in an Uber with a young Pakistani guy and something clicked for him. And so for the very first time, he responded to this young man who said, thank you for your service. You are worth it. You are worth it. You're worth the suffering. You're worth fighting for. You're worth protecting. You're worth the years that I spent in the hospital bed and the deep scars on my body. 
you are worth it. It's an amazing story. And we are coming up on Veterans Day next week, and it's a wonderful time to reflect on Jesus' words. Greater love has no one than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. So let's continue to see what Jesus teaches us about suffering through this passage. And first, it would be helpful for us to understand a little bit of the context uh, of the original here. What was their mindset? And I think actually it's going to be a lot closer to ours than we might expect because there were those who surrounded Jesus who, like Job's friends, apparently assumed that suffering was the result of personal sin. And we have a word for it, this worldview, many call it karma, right? Bad things happen to bad people. Maybe you've heard of pop theologian Justin Timberlake, what goes around comes around. This was a popular assumption of their day, and it's one that's similar in ours as well. It's the reason behind the disciples' question in in John 9, when they're talking about the man born blind, when they ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? Is it this man or his parents? The assumption they've done something to have this malady. And it's not just true of why bad things happen to bad people, but also true of their assumption of why good things happen to good people. If you remember the story of Jesus when he encountered the rich young ruler, the disciples apparently thought that God had blessed this man with great riches and wealth because he was such a good guy. So the thinking goes, bad stuff happens to bad people, good stuff happens to good people. And many of us, if we're honest, at some level, operate with this functional belief as well. And Jesus takes their and our own popular assumption, and he gives us a gospel alternative to this view, this point of view. And that gospel alternative is trust. Trust in a sovereign God. And he does that through entering into the world of suffering. So we're going to look at two headings this evening. The first is Jesus teaches about suffering. And then the second is Jesus teaches us how to respond to suffering. So first, Jesus teaches us about suffering. If you look down in the text, verse 1, we hear this weird story about Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. This local politician, Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman colonial governor of Judea, has ambushed, apparently, some of his partisan enemies, and he's murdered them in broad daylight in the temple. And it's an astonishing report. It's supposed to astonish and shock us because these unsuspecting Galileans in their place of worship, not unlike the worshipers in the Pittsburgh synagogue or the Charleston church are killed in a gruesome scene by Pilate and his henchmen. And we're told that this isn't just any normal Sunday affair as well. We assume probably that this is the Passover. This is the day of the year in which the lay people would bring the animals to make sacrifice, mixing an already bloody affair with the blood of the innocent. 
And Jesus, apparently a news junkie as well, he, he responds with a story of current events of his own. He talks about this tower that has tragically fallen and killed 18 people. And with callous hearts, Jesus must have been able to hear the assumption in their, to- their tone of voice because he answers them with a rhetorical question of his own. You see it there. Do you think that they are worse sinners than you because they suffered in this way? Do you think they're worse sinners than you, really? And so we're in this series, Answer the King. This is the question that we want to wrestle with this evening. And I want you to hear as clear as you can from me through your tears this evening. If, if you find yourself in this place of suffering, because Jesus gives a, qu- a, click, a quick and clear response to their question. And it offers an important window for us into the world of suffering. He tells them unequivocally, no. There is no connection. Zero connection to their personal sin. So that's the first thing that Jesus teaches about suffering in this passage, that suffering is not the result of personal sin. In fact, if we look at the whole Bible more generally, suffering is primarily the result of a good world that has gone bad. We don't live in a world that was created with suffering, but through the fall, through Genesis 3, suffering entered into the world. So if you're here today and you're, you're suffering, I want you to know that suffering is not something that God enjoys. Suffering was not God's plan for the world. Now it's true, there is some suffering that is the result of direct or personal sin, but Jesus is clear in this passage that this human atrocity and this natural calamity are not the result of their personal sin. We're often too quick to connect those dots, to connect tragedies to the morality of the people involved. We've heard Christians suggest the same thing, saying blatantly, God was judging New Orleans with Katrina because of the sin on Bourbon Street. Or maybe we say, well, we're not that callous, but perhaps... We've done some comparing of our own on Instagram saying, well, the bad decisions of those people must be the result of something else going on in their lives. Suggesting otherwise is something that we all do. But the first thing I want you to see in this passage is that Jesus is clear. Suffering is not the result of personal sin. And it is, it is important to just pause for a moment and realize who Jesus is addressing because he is going to get a little bit more pointed. This was the struggle as worked through the passage this week because there are those who are suffering, but Jesus is not really talking to the people who are suffering in this passage. He's talking to the observers. He's not talking to the families of the persons who've been killed by the wall or the Galileans because the reality is the observers are not really actually interested in Jesus's perspective on suffering. Because if you look at the context of this passage, you see that they've put themselves in a position to judge others 
by comparing their sufferings. But Jesus says to these observers, you've missed the point. You think you're good because the tower didn't fall on you. But the people who are suffering, they are actually closer to understanding the gospel than you are because they understand their neediness, their dependence upon God's grace. They know that there's nothing good or bad in them that is the result of or cause of their suffering. But even more than this, the gospel gives us a second framework to help us understand more about suffering. The second thing we learn about suffering from Jesus is that the gospel doesn't minimize suffering. The gospel doesn't minimize our suffering, but instead it reorients our hearts and our minds towards God. One of the worst things that well-meaning Christians do is to trivialize or to minimize suffering. Like Michael's priest saying something like, well, God needed another angel in heaven. Or maybe you've lost your job before and someone well-meaning has said, well, all things work together for good. And you're thinking, yeah, well, do they pay the mortgage? Of course, the latter is true. But the point is, that is not how God meets us in our suffering. That's not how he himself responds to suffering. If you remember the story of Mary and Martha, when Jesus has come to hear the sad news about his friend Lazarus who has died, what is Jesus's response? He doesn't say, well, theologically, it's true. He will one day be resurrected. So all will have been for good. What does the Bible say in that moment? It says, Jesus wept. And the same is true for us. The Bible doesn't ask us to put on a happy face. God is honest with our suffering. And so we can be honest with suffering too, because suffering is not something that God enjoys. The world was not created for suffering, but God entered into it. He entered into both our world and our suffering. I love it that the gospel doesn't say that suffering is easy. It says the exact opposite. Suffering is hard. But as we're about to celebrate in this upcoming season, God promises to be with us, Emmanuel, So for the observer, and maybe that is where you find yourself today, Jesus uses these stories of suffering to make them and us more aware of our mortality. And death is exhibit A of the presence of sin in the world as a result of the fall. That's what Jesus is referring to when he completes his thought, when he says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will perish. What is Jesus doing? He's saying, look, don't worry about them. You need to worry about yourself. Only repentance can deliver you from that true 
and tragic and eternal end. Because there's an even worse fate than what the Galileans suffered. And that is to die and spend an eternity in hell. And by the way, that's what we all deserve because we've all sinned against a holy God. But that's not where the story ends because Jesus came to save us from what we deserve, that we might have that free gift of eternal life in him. God sent his son, Jesus, to suffer on our behalf that we might escape that worse fate. And so truthfully this evening, we may never fully understand why suffering befalls us because suffering is ultimately beyond our comprehension. But by God's grace, we know that it's not trivial to him, that it matters. And not only that, but that he has come to suffer, to take on flesh for us. Now, I do want to continue speaking just for a moment to the person who is currently experiencing suffering in this way, because the question that inevitably remains is why? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to them? What did I do to deserve this? And maybe your question is personal, like mine. Many of you know my brother has been recently diagnosed with a rare form of bone cancer. Why is my little brother, who's 25 years old, who's been married a few years, who is thinking about starting a family in the prime of his life, why does he have this cancer? Maybe you're sitting there and you've been thinking to yourself, in my 30s, why, why am I still single? What is your question? You see people around you on Instagram or social media popping up. Everyone is pregnant and you've desired to be pregnant, but it's not happening for you. What are your questions? And of course, we know these are fair questions. And if there's anything that I've learned in this series, it's that we can bring our, our anxieties, our doubts, even our sufferings to God. He can take it. He can take our questions. And so the second thing we want to see this evening is how Jesus teaches us to respond. How does Jesus teach us to respond to suffering? The gospel alternative to this worldview that says, well, just bad things happen to bad people, that karma is trust. Trust in a sovereign God. Because we really do believe that grace changes everything including how we respond to suffering. Another Presbyterian pastor put it like this, Christianity teaches that unlike fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Unlike Buddhism, suffering is real. Unlike karma, suffering is often unfair. But unlike secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and power than you can imagine. Our suffering is not meaningless. It is never for nothing. So the truth is we may not 
on this side of heaven understand what God is possibly up to. We can think of ways what he's doing. But ultimately, Jesus has left us an example of how to respond in these moments, how to respond when suffering comes our way. And I can tell you about it, but I think one of the best things that I can do is show you what this trust looks like. I want to share with you how my brother, Philip, responded when he recently received some more bad news. He writes, it was not the news we were hoping for. The doctor stated that the scans looked the same as two months ago. Where the tumor currently sits covers where the nerves pass through my pelvis and at the current size and location, she's recommending amputation. But it isn't all bad news. First, since the tumor has not grown, they state that it's not likely to grow anymore. Second, since the tumor isn't likely to spread, there's no rush to do the surgery so I can undergo more treatments of chemo to see and give the tumor more of a chance to respond and shrink, hopefully avoiding amputation. And third, my leg is not my life. These from a 25-year-old. Despite these news, this news today, God is still good. My health is promised, whether it be here or in heaven. That's an example of a gospel response to suffering. And God is loving and faithful so we can entrust our lives to him just as Jesus did when he suffered. His example we hear about in 1 Peter First <clears throat> Peter 2, verses 23 through 26, 24. I want to read that again. When Jesus suffered, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly because he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. So what does this trusting look like? It looks like turning our eyes from our suffering and to our Savior Jesus, to him who judges justly on our behalf. Because it's only when we have a trusting heart can we realize that when good things or bad things happen to us, that we are sinners saved by God's grace and upheld by his hand. And so for those who are experiencing suffering this evening, I pray that you would understand and believe that Jesus does not minimize your suffering, but he enters into it to provide you meaning and power by his spirit. And for others who are here, do you see your own mortality before you? Do you see that your death is before you? And for all of us, grace exploded onto the scene like a cosmic grenade 2,000 years ago when Jesus came to live the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we deserved in order that we might experience that resurrection hope. 
he said to us, as it were, you are worth it. You are. You're worth my protecting. You're worth fighting for. You're worth the deep scars on my body. You're worth my suffering. You are worth it. You are. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your table, would you help everyone here to trust and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Because we can't do it on our own. So by your spirit, would you open our hearts to respond to your leading? There are many who are suffering in this room. Many who've been spared from the tower falling on them. Truth is that we all need your grace and to see that your son suffered in our place, that we might experience your great love for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.